Health Matters with Laura Kopeck focuses on matters of health and why our health matters and how we can take matters of our health into our own hands. I'm your host, Laura Kopeck, and today is a discussion about the functional imbalances related to insomnia. A reminder, this episode and all my podcasts are for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice or a medical diagnosis. Insomnia, trouble sleeping, trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep. Sleep issues are a common issue, a common imbalance, but one of the most misunderstood. When a client consults with me about their health, they often list insomnia as a symptom, and they think of it like a symptom, heartburn, constipation, fatigue, insomnia. But heartburn, constipation, those are all symptoms of an imbalanced digestive system happening either while we are awake or while we are asleep. So when I educate individuals on insomnia, the first thing I wanna do is take them away from viewing it as a symptom. Instead, I encourage they look at it as a state of being because let's face it, we are either awake or asleep. Once we can look at sleep and then insomnia differently, we can take a step back and look at the different nutritional deficiencies or nutritional imbalances and the stimulation that can contribute to the insomnia. The most common mistake that people make is any kind of sleep issue they're having, they jump right into taking melatonin. And melatonin may not be the correction of the right fit. And we'll discuss melatonin more in the uh, next section. The first thing I want to talk about is the way that we fail to prepare ourselves for sleep. And I think that this is really important piece to take a look at and sort through before we consider any other nutritional or chemical deficiencies that might be contributing to the insomnia. I think it's really easy when people are in such a state of imbalance to jump right away to that it has to be a big problem and it has to be something that's unsolvable uh, by the way that we're preparing ourselves for bed. So this is the first thing that really has to be resolved until you can jump into the next. So this I would call phase one. And this is looking at screen time, alcohol or caffeine influence, late night eating or glucose metabolism and overstimulation. So let's talk about screen time first. I think this is a big mistake that people make because they think that sitting in front of the TV or sitting in front of the screen is relaxing. And it's often how people are kind of decompressing from their day. But the reality is while our body can be in a sedentary state and we can feel like we are coming down from the day, our brain is actually being stimulated. And often if we run that stimulation right up to the point where we are supposed to lay down, it can really confuse the way that our body Body does release its own melatonin production. The smaller the screen, the more blue light that we're influencing our eyes with, the more we are actually suppressing our own melatonin production. And melatonin is that sleep hormone. It is that nice sleepy feeling that we get. And it is meant to be uh, released at a certain time in the evening and then released throughout the night to help us stay asleep. So it's really important to look at your screen time, how much you're doing and where the cutoff is. And I, 
And it's also really important to think about where you're having that screen time. A lot of people, if they're using that screen while they're actually in bed, that can also be confusing to the body as to what they're supposed to be doing when they are laying in bed. So really screen time needs to be outside of laying in bed. It needs to be cut off at a significant amount of time before you lay down so that your body has a chance to produce its own melatonin and to actually then catch that melatonin wave as opposed to interfering in it with constant stimulation on the screen. Now let's talk about the alcohol or caffeine influence. I think a lot of people like to have that alcohol. They think it's relaxing. They may even think it's helping them get to sleep. But studies have shown that alcohol actually, while we think it calms us and helps us relax and get to sleep, it actually decreases the quality of our sleep and the depth of our sleep. So while we can think that it's helpful, it's actually counterproductive. Uh, caffeine has a influence as well. Now, this is more influenced by the timing and the amount. So as a general rule, any caffeine that's consumed after the noon hour or any amount that exceeds two cups in the morning is going to influence, again, the quality and the depth of our sleep. So you may be able to drink you know, four cups of coffee spread out through the day. You may be able to have that afternoon uh, caffeine to get that jolt. But the reality is, is again, the quality of your sleep may be affected, especially because both of those things are hormone disruptors. And anytime you start disrupting hormones, then you're going to be affecting the quality of your sleep. Especially as we age, we're more likely and more vulnerable to hormone imbalances. So the alcohol and caffeine, while we may not think they're affecting our sleep, may either be directly affecting the depth of our sleep or may be indirectly affecting our sleep by disrupting our hormones. Let's talk about eating. Everybody likes to sit in front of the TV and eat, especially those late night snacks. But Here's another thing too, right, is food is meant to be fuel. So why would you refuel if you're expecting to actually shut down, you know, to rest and decompress and go to sleep? So it's a contradictory message to the body, especially if what we consume contains sugar or you know, is a form of glucose, like uh, a refined carbohydrate, then it's going to be that much more of a, a boost of energy. And it can keep the body from going into that nice, relaxing, deep sleep. And then the other thing to think about is overstimulation. How cluttered is a bedroom? How much um, sensory stimulation is going on? And how much darkness is available? You know, they say that the smallest amount of light, even from an alarm clock, can keep melatonin from being fully uh, maximized or produced. So again, we need that environment to be very conducive to relaxation, uh, which then can help guide us into a happy sleep environment. Okay, now we're ready to talk about phase two. Once you've looked at all those stimulants and you've addressed them, right? There's not a significant amount of screen time. It's not happening in bed. You've removed the food or the drink influences, and you really have created an environment where sleep is supposed to happen 
but you're still not sleeping. So now it's time to move into that next phase and look at the possibility that there could be a detoxification issue, maybe related to a congested um, or fatty liver. There could be gut issues going on. Maybe you don't completely digest all your food by the time you lay down. Uh, there could be a melatonin signaling or deficiency. There could be a core body temperature issue. So let's talk about these three things, break them down. Detoxification. If you've listened to some of my earlier podcasts, you'll hear me talk about that we're either in digestion or detoxification. It's two sides of the same coin, and it's the way that our body is processing uh, the nutrients that we're, we're consuming. And so in darkness, we want to be detoxifying. It is part of one of the primary functions of sleep. And so we want to make sure that our body isn't carrying a heavy toxic load that the detoxification can't happen uh, while we're resting. You know, people that uh, have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, they may not be detoxing uh their detoxification pathways may either be congested or their toxic load may be too great to handle for the entire night of rest. So this is where working with a practitioner where you can look at some of these uh, pathways, some of these issues and really isolate how to support your body, uh, get a really good detox going and see if that at all is going to help you get sleep better. Melatonin. Melatonin is the sleep hormone. We get a nice big rush of it. You know, for adults, it's usually around 9.30, uh, preparing us somewhere between 9.30 and 10, preparing us to kind of catch that wave so that we're asleep sometime between the 10 and 10.30. Often what happens is people want to do something at that 9.30, maybe eat, uh, do something to really stimulate themselves because they feel like it's too early to lay down and go to sleep. And what happens is they may give themselves a second wind, blow right past that melatonin, that initial melatonin surge that they're getting. And then they might be pushing themselves to stay up to 11, 12 o'clock. And by then they might be actually operating on adrenaline, the second wind, and they've missed that moment of catching that wave of melatonin. Some people actually do have a melatonin deficiency it's a trickle down effect of other neurotransmitters. And so maybe digestively, genetically, there's some influencing factors that actually may cause uh, melatonin to be deficient. And so this is where people can get a little confused. A lot of people shy away from melatonin saying that they don't wanna become addicted to melatonin, but there's a lot of confusion around melatonin. Uh, first of all, whether or not it is actually needed, right? People that are using it when that's not really the cause of their insomnia or people shying away from it if they really do need it. Um, and then there's the amount. You can buy melatonin in 0.5 to one milligram all the way up to 10 milligrams. And then sometimes I'm working with somebody and they say they've tried melatonin and maybe they tried too low of amount or maybe they tried too high of amount. So it really is important, again, to work with a practitioner and to look at whether or not melatonin is really called for, and then looking at why you really might have that. And is it correctable by fixing the underlying imbalance rather than 
treating the melatonin deficiency with melatonin. Like maybe it's necessary to look at what's happening digestively to proteins. Maybe it's necessary to look at what's happening genetically so that all the cellular communication is happening smoothly and cleanly. So you can determine not only the amount of melatonin, but if it's needed and if it's needed short term, uh, because there's a potential for it to be resolved. But I think this is, even though it's available readily at any dosage, uh, it really is something to be used with caution, taken with uh, consideration, looking at the big picture, maybe working with a practitioner that understands that. Core body temperature. This is actually another big mistake that people make. So our body will sleep the best in the deepest part of our sleep if our core body temperature is in 68 degrees. So if our room is 68 degrees. And the mistake that people make, and I see a lot of people with more insomnia during the winter than in the summer. And that's because in the winter, everybody wants to be really, really warm. They've set their thermostats at 72. They're covered with blankets. If it was 72 degrees outside, we'd be in shorts and a t-shirt. Why are we uh, cranking our thermostats to 72 and then still putting blankets and winter pajamas on? We're really creating an environment where our core body temperature is not going to be happy and restful sleep is not going to happen. So uh, that's really important to take a look at, you know, maybe setting a thermostat so that it moves uh, so that you feel comfortable as you're going to sleep. It's not 68 if 68 feels too cold, but by the time you're in a deep sleep, the room around you is 68 degrees. And then that creates a better environment for, for sleeping. There are those individuals that have a really hard time regulating their core body temperature on their own. And again, this could be related to an underlying imbalance in their digestive system with the way they break down proteins, or it could be related to a genetic issue um, in the nutrigenomic nutrigenetics where cellular communication isn't as smooth or clean as it could be. Uh, amino acid called glycine is one that is sometimes used to help remedy this. Uh, again, do this uh, with the advice of your, of your doctor or your practitioner. Okay, phase three would then be to look at things like serotonin imbalance or deficiency, cortisol imbalances, or other genetic factors like COPT or GABA receptors. So serotonin deficiency could be caused by a number of things could be a nutrigenetic issue. It could be a digestive issue. Uh, serotonin is going to be mostly made in the stomach while some of it is made in the brain, but a lot of sugar consumption can actually interfere in serotonin production. So individuals who might have serotonin issues, again, might need to go all the way back to phase one and look at that their eating habits, then phase two, looking at their detox, and then looking at, well, if those don't balance themselves by doing that, could there be another reason for the serotonin issue? Uh, neurotransmitters are not only about maybe a deficiency, they could be overabundant in the body. 
So it is an imbalance. They could be overproducing it, uh, underproducing it, could be having problems processing it. If serotonin is the issue, if it's related to your cycle, if it's related to diet, taking melatonin to solve the insomnia isn't going to correct this. It's not going to, it's not going to touch that. Same with cortisol imbalances. I typically tell people that there's a couple things that might indicate you might have a cortisol imbalance. One is that you're waking up between a, the period of 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. If somebody's waking up in there, that's a pretty good indication that you might need to look at what your cortisol is doing. There can be a corresponding slump in that window in the afternoon. So if you feel like you need a nap from two to four in the afternoon, and you also are waking up in the middle of the night from two to four, might be a cortisol imbalance and might need to look at how to balance that and get out of that hormonal imbalance. And some genetic influences like COMP-T, there's a particular genetic SNP, COMP-T V15A and AA, where insomnia is a, a complaint for individuals that have this, which is then a whole other uh, form of insomnia, if you will. And I am going to be doing a series on COMP-T, so I encourage you to check that out, especially if we do a case study on the insomnia. And the last piece is kind of phase four, where we would look at remaining neurotransmitter imbalances, any kind of uh, signaling as well or outside of the neurotransmitters, and histamine imbalances. So while serotonin is typically the primary neurotransmitter that I see imbalanced when it comes to insomnia, it, there's still uh, issues with other neurotransmitters that can be out of balance and dopamine, uh, GABA, and then need to be looked at. Uh, so again, even if your neurotransmitters are out of balance, it's really important to look at why. If you just look at the neurotransmitter imbalance, you're only actually looking at the symptom. Uh, you're not looking at the underlying reason why the neurotransmitters uh, became out of balance. A lot of this is digestive, specifically with how we break down proteins, because proteins become amino acids, become neurotransmitters. A lot of it has to do with diets, high in you know carbohydrates, simple sugars. You know, people say that when they start cleaning up their diet, then everything works better, right? Their brain is clearer, but their sleep is better. It's not just about the toxic load and how congested your body is to get through the night, but it also is about a smoother pathway for those neurotransmitters um, to produce those hormones that help you rest and get good quality sleep. And that histamine piece, let's talk about that because this is really a growing topic. Uh, histamine is now being looked at as maybe contributing to anxiety. So there's many types of influences with histamine. I know when I mentioned the word histamine to a client, they right away said, oh, well, I don't have seasonal allergies or I don't have, uh, I don't have rashes or hives. Or, and so there's a lot of narrow viewpoint on histamines. Uh, histamines can contribute to a gut imbalance. It's again, not the first place to look at in terms of why there's sleep interference 
it's kind of the last on the wheel of addressing all these things, but it is a piece of it. And again, you can be making assumptions about your insomnia and there could be a really obvious piece in that phase one, or there could be a less obvious piece, phase two, or a really obscure piece in phase three or four. Uh, but again, a significant number of people, when they start addressing some of those basics, which I know are not basic to resolve, you know, it's much easier to, you know, watch TV, watch the screen, eat, you know, just help ourselves decompress. It is much harder to be disciplined about a really healthy and good choices when it comes to preparing for sleep. But really, a significant amount of people, when they take a look at their screen time and make those adjustments, or they stop the alcohol for a good 30 days, if not longer, they change the way they consume caffeine, they stop eating late at night, uh, their sleep improves significantly. And if you have to dig deeper into that detox piece, that can be done to, again, clean up your body so that it's sleeping much better and much more efficiently. Our sleep is super important to us. I don't even think we begin to realize how important it is. Uh, many of us are getting not the quality or the amount that we really need. So it's definitely something to consider. I think one of the most fascinating things I ever read about sleep is how your brain shrinks a little bit while you sleep so that you can move toxins uh, through your cerebral spinal fluid, uh, moving it out of that area into your body. And so with that consideration, they talk about how maybe even Alzheimer's might be looked at as actually a sleep disorder, uh, because maybe if somebody's not getting quality sleep, they don't you know, detox their brain correctly. I think that's one of the most fascinating things that I've learned about sleep through the years. I also think that it's really important that we understand how important sleep is to our children. When they talk about the risk of Alzheimer's with sleep, they do talk about how it goes all the way back into our childhood years, that children that are not getting adequate sleep are actually increasing their risk um, for Alzheimer's in their adult years. So sleep is really important. It is a big part of how we're going to manage our stress during the day. Um, and so definitely I encourage everyone to look at the different possibilities and the different influences that might be correlating to their insomnia, uh, especially if their children are having trouble sleeping. It's definitely really important that we get a handle on this, that we pay attention to it, and that we don't make assumptions about what could be the reason why. If you click on the link in the description, you'll find there's a little handout that corresponds with the different topics that we talked about in today's discussion. And I'm really happy that you joined me today. I'm your host, Laura Kopeck, and today's episode was a discussion of breaking down the nutritional influences of sleep, how we can think differently about insomnia, and seek to take charge of our own health. Thank you for listening, and join us again for another episode of Health Matters with Laura Kopeck.